Well, now we have the opportunity to have Carol Beakley with us, and we're so thankful that she is here all the way from South Africa. And many of you know Carol as she's had the privilege of speaking and sharing with many of the ladies at Grace Church through conferences and whatnot in different groups. So would you please welcome up Carol Beakley. I was asked to speak. Now, I know I've I've come. I, t- I was reminded that it's been four years since I've been here, which I don't remember that. But So she said that a lot of you might not know me. Um, and I'd, one, I want to thank this group since its conception, which was way before me. But, um, man, you guys have always been there for us. And we sort of know that we can always say, hey, I've got a prayer group that's behind us at any point in time. And so thank you. Thank you for being that. And I know um, you give up a chunk of time in your morning. You could out running errands, doing all your stuff. And I hope that somehow we all uh, missionaries encourage you. Um, But I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I was asked to tell you briefly, which I'm looking at the time going, oh, I don't do anything briefly. (laughs) I am so used to living in Africa where uh, time is, we don't run by clocks very much. And so um, my husband preaches for an hour, 10 minutes is a typical sermon. Um, and nobody complains, and everyone's used to it. And um, so here I am going, what? Okay, but I'll try. <laughs> All right. Um, I also want to say at the very beginning of the outset, remember I have lived over 15 years, 16, 16-something years, in a different country. So I might say things that are politically incorrect. <laughs> um and you're welcome to challenge me, and I will tell you what's... But, you know, I live there, and I'm going to talk the way I talk there, and I'm going to use sometimes terminology that's there that will be funny to you. But I also might say things because, yeah, we use terms of black and white, and it's not a big deal. Um, I'm I'm used to being the minority, so... Um, as I tell sometimes people, when we went to send our kids to school, my kids were in a school of 900-something-plus kids, and there were five white kids, and three of them were mine. So um, so, uh, so I, it's definitely not to, yeah, I'm just in a different place than you are, so please be gracious to my speech. I will try to be politically correct, but I don't always do that. Okay, what do, I was asked um, a couple questions, so I'll try to get through those real quick. Um, what do, what do we do in Africa, or really what does my husband do, and why do we go there? Well, we've been there over 16 years, and we um, are associated with Christ Seminary, which is tied to this church. Um, we train men for the pastorates, very similar to uh, Master Seminary here. We, um, they earn a bachelor's degree of theology when they get through, so it's a it's a true academic institution. It's not a bush under the tree um, type of teaching. Um, we have trained over 170 graduates, 50 current students right now. We represent uh, over 25 different countries have come to the seminary, including oh, a guy from that came back to the states and is is uh, living here, and one that's in Germany at EBTC. He's actually teaching in uh, with EBTC, so um, which is also tied to TMI. Um, my husband's the academic dean there. Um, 
the seminary now, it started from grace, from people, but now it's all become nationalized, so all of our instructors are all nationals, um, with exception of us, we're the odd weird ones. Um, so we're the left Americans there. Um, my husband is also the TMI, GMI, this sounds like a big title, but it's really not. GMI, TMI, GMI, African Regional Shepherd, which basically means that if he needs to stay on top of talking to people, <laughs> which is not my husband's strong suit, but that's where I'm here to help him. Um, he's been the senior pastor at the church there for the last four years. There's about 300 people that attend the church. It's a very multicultural, massively multicultural church. He greets um, on Sunday morning in about five languages. Um, it has its problems, but we unite on Christ and this word. So our cultures are very different, but we can unite in that. Um, he's got a full plate, which means I've only got a full pl- I got to have a less of a plate to support him and his full crazy plate. Anyway, but it's a privilege to um, live in a culture that's not your own. Because you really get to see God's truth as it is clearly seen and how it applies in so many different cultures. It just it blows your mind that he, he is God. I don't know why I'm so surprised sometimes that he's God, but I get surprised that he's God, that he really knows everything. Um, I was also asked, okay, what's happening with the church in Africa? Whew, that's complicated. Um, South Africa would call itself a Christian country. Most people, if I asked on the street, would all say they're Christian. So unlike the, if you think of Africa, about midway, anything above that is fighting with a lot of Muslim things. Anything below that would tend to be like Malawi on down would tend to be Christian. But Christian is not Christian as you know it. Christian means, um, oh, that they might go to church on Sunday, they might talk about Jesus, they might read the Bible and use the Bible, use, I'll say that's the appropriate word, but not born-again Christians. So that's very rare. Um, matter of fact, yeah, if you're a born-again Christian, um, many times they'll say, oh, you're one of those. So um, anyway, Africans have a challenge with that. Um Africa in general is in huge bondage of their culture is very ancestral worship. So they're very terrified of the supernatural. So if uh, um, a little breeze, you know, a whirlwind comes up, oh, they'll all be like, ah, <laughs> our ancestors are mad. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's just a whirlwind. Um, the, you really start to see it when times are tough. So when you go through hard times, when you're dealing with people with divorces, when you're dealing with um, loss of jobs, when you're dealing with trouble with children or medical help, um, and especially at a funeral, that's when you really start to see we don't believe the same thing. I don't believe the same thing as many of them do. Um, it's very, very difficult. I was just at one a couple of weeks ago, so it's still fresh in my mind of, of uh, an African funeral. Um, yeah, they, uh, how I describe some weird things I would see. Um, a lot of people would show up. 
they're very honoring of the dead. So everybody feels like they need to show up because if they don't show up, the person might come back and haunt them. So the, so the funerals are very well attended. <laughs> and it's a very big deal. The whole community comes out. They'll have, um, one thing they'll have is they'll have a grave and they'll have little, um, like broken plates and cups on top of the grave, like stuck in the grave. Um, and that's so when they come out, they can have their cup and their favorite cup and plate and whatever. Um, uh, yeah, I even had uh, one time, I think I told you guys a story last time I was here, um, where there was some women after the funeral and I noticed they were going to each grave and they would pick up a rock and put it in their mouth and then put it back down. And then they go to the next grave and do that. And I was like, what are they doing? Um, and then I was told they want to make sure that person knows that they were there. So um, they're very concerned. They're, they're cause and effect. You know, we would say um, if a child doesn't do well at school, we would say they're not studying. They would say if a child doesn't do well at school that the neighbor cursed them or an ancestor's not taking care of them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't see the same cause and effect as we would. And here's where I want to talk about, even at the end, is uh, just pulling it all together. They trust in the lie that somebody, something dead, is going to protect them and, and be there for them. Um, they also trust in the lie that uh, a witch doctor, we call him Sangomas there, um, can control the supernatural. They trust in a lie that, this is what's funny to me, is that everyone who dies basically goes to heaven. Um, I was at a, I think I said this last time I was here too, but um, I was once at a San Gomez uh, witch doctor's funeral, and um, they were preaching John 14. And I was like, you know, in my father's house, mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm like, really? <laughs> of all the people, what are you doing this? But, uh, yeah, they all trust that they go to a, a better place than they're going. Um, I was also asked to tell you a little bit about Handsome. Sorry, I thought I could do this for a while. Um... Okay. The Lord put a young man in her, sorry, a young man in our lives for about, well, we probably had him with us for about 10 years, maybe longer. And um, anyway, he just, he showed up one day at the gate. We get a lot of people that come to the gate and ask us for money or food or usually what they want is money. And that day, um, Zimbabwe was having, a, which has had in the past, a really bad election. And so um, Handsome and another kid came to the door. He looked like he was five. Um, he would look so young. And Anyway, he came to the door and he asked for work, which he, you know, at five o'clock in the evening, he's not looking for work. He's looking for money and handouts. And he was obviously a street kid and obviously his mom wasn't around. So, um, David just got through preaching the Good Samaritan. So, um, combination of all that the Lord put on our hearts to open the door, open the gate to let him in. And he came in and, and he didn't leave. And we kept trying to find a better situation for him, but we never did. So he stayed with us, and it was a, 
it was a really hard time. I remember coming and sharing with you guys some of the hard times I've had trying to raise him. Um, he, uh, we, we were trying to be obedient to the Lord, and we tried to pour into him as much as we could, just like our own kids. Um, he was very quietly rebellious. That's <laughs> the best way I could describe it as a bomb. He was, um, if I told him that he needed to be in before sunset, he would make sure it was just past sunset. He'd walk in the door and go, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, and it was difficult because he was he was a teenager. And it was difficult. You know, you can't spank a teenager. He's not my own. He's not. Um, so it was very hard to raise him. And, but we tried and we hoped. And I had a hope that one day he would, the light bulb would go off, you know, and that all this work would pay off and that one day he'd come back in and say, I found the Lord and, and, um, and turn. And um, he was just, he lived his life in a way that he was always sort of angry because uh, the Lord took away his mom, took away his grandma, um, and he felt probably living with us didn't help in some ways because he was around a lot of other wealthier kids, and so he always felt like he was given the raw end of the deal, you know, that God was being cruel to him. And he, um, we tried to get him involved with church. He would attend because when he got to be, you know, he, he was with us until he was about 20. I think he died when he was 20. I think he was 23. We're still trying to figure out ages, 22, 23. Um, but he didn't really ever mix in well. He was always like, I'm not part of this group. And he refused to be part of the group. Um, he, you know, it's funny. I After he died... I realized that, well, I should tell you how he died. He he was living back at our home, and um, we said that he can stay there until he can get a place of his own, but as long as he attends church. And um, and he wasn't attending church. And so we finally just said, okay, handsome, you need to, you need to move out. We helped you get a job. We helped you get an education. You need to move out until you grow up, and um, then you can you know, maybe come back. So he was in the process of doing that. What I didn't, he always kept saying, I don't quite have the money. I don't have quite up the money. And um, I, you know, it was like you didn't understand because he had no expenses. He, I was paying for all of his food, his roof, everything. But um, what he was doing, we found out later, was he was going gambling at night at the local casino. Um, and he was just hanging out with friends. But the night that he died, you know, I just remember him being in the kitchen, and it's it's fairly fresh to me because it just happened a few months ago. Um, he, we were just laughing and joking in the kitchen, and he said he was going out with some friends. And then, um, uh, as usual, um, I didn't hear him come in because he many times would come in and go middle of the night. And we got a call that morning, and somebody just said he had died. And we're like, What? You know, he couldn't have died. I mean, what are you talking about? And he was um, out gambling and with um, some not-so-great friends. And he was in a car, and they were going really fast and drunk. And the car hit a, um, what they call a roundabout. But it hit it straight on and flipped front over. Anyway, and he was thrown out and killed pretty quickly. So, um, so we woke up Saturday just, like, shocked. 
that, you know, it's, and I, I still honestly sort of don't believe it. I still believe he's going to walk back in the door, and when he does, I'm going to yell at him. But um, I had a chance to look back and think back over his life, and it wasn't what I had hoped for. I thought that the Lord had brought him into our life for some big, huge reason, I hoped. Um, and so this wasn't the life that, you know, I kept thinking he'd turn. And that wasn't God's plan. And, you know, just I look back and I think, you know, the young man felt always like he didn't fit in and God had given him a, a bad situation. But, you know, the reality is he had everything. He was given um, hope that all the other street kids didn't have. And he was also, um, in our home, we have a constant flow of guys. Um, I think I have a, they call me the Beakley Hotel. I've got eight bedrooms, five baths, if that tells you anything. And it's just Dave and I living there. So we always have young men coming and staying and, and um, going through the seminary and we're discipling people all the time. And he had a constant flow of godly men in his life. And he rejected every one of them. So the funny thing was, and here's the lie, um, I would even go to church and after he died and everybody said, oh, Carol, I'm sure he made a, you know, a last minute confession. And I'm like, he was drunk and he had like seconds to live. I don't think so. You know, the reality is it doesn't look good for him. When we did the funeral, it was very difficult, but we had to tell the truth. And nobody does that anymore. That's why I wanted to talk about truth and lies, is we all want to say, oh, we go to a better place, you know, or we always want to pretend that everything's going to be fine. But the truth is, it's not probably fine for him. He lived a life, and he was given much, and he has to stand before the Lord. And no, do I, he will not be using my name of saying, Carol was so gracious and kind to me. No, he'll use my name as saying, see all the mean things she did? Because <laughs> I was angry with him a lot. But he will have to say God gave him all kinds of kind things. And and he turned them down. So that's fairly recent. You were asking about it, and I know many of you have prayed for him, and I'm very grateful that you have. I just trust that somehow, maybe by God's grace, there'll be some people that are affected. There was a lot of people at the funeral. They were shocked when we tell the truth um, about what happens when one dies, and we pray that that'll have fruit one day. Even uh, the driver of the vehicle, Zion, um, uh, he was, yeah, anyway, but we, we pray for them, and, and we'll see what the Lord's doing. But there's good examples, as well as tough ones. We've got another young man that lived in our house, Kenneth Lamola, which also came from a tough situation, um, but he humbled himself before the Word of God. And he was like searching and trying to understand, and he went against his culture to follow what God's word says, and has it's just a just a joy to watch his life. He's now got a wonderful wife and um, a child, and he's keeping a job. And he was um, he was on a path to going nowhere, and the Lord has blessed his life. Because he started searching through the scriptures and trying to understand what does God want from him. And so there are examples of people who can follow God's word, and it's amazing, and seeing also people who choose not to follow God's word. Well, 
as Americans, I can tell you a lot of stories about the weirdness of Africa, and you can laugh at it with me, and we can sometimes pity them. Um, the worst case, some people glamorize the African culture. But I want to challenge you today with your own culture, the American culture. We do the same thing. Sometimes when you're living in another culture, you realize, ah, oh, I can't believe they're trusting in that lie. You know, we, we sort of laugh at how they worried about that whirlwind or, you know, think that some, some, uh, ancestor is giving them a hard time. But our culture trusts in lies too. We trust that there's no supernatural. But there is. There's a God, and God says there's angels and demons and all these things in the room. It does exist. We trust that we're in control of our lives, right? I can control my destiny. That's a lie. You're not in control of anything. Not the next one minute. We trust in the lie that um, we'll never die. You know, we're going to live forever, right? That's a lie. Matter of fact, 100% of us, with the exception of Elijah, and <laughs> are gonna, we're going to die. So we trust in the lie that everybody goes to a better place. That's not true either. The Bible says that at the narrow gate and the wide gate, both African weirdness and Americans need the Lord. We both are wrong. The truth is that John 14, 6 says, as you know, I am the way. You can welcome when I quote a lot. Of, I'm going to quote some scripture here, and you guys know these verses, so feel free to jump in. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Unless you are attached to him, you will surely die. And you'll experience that separation from God, the only giver of a good thing. He, there's righteous judgment awaiting. And the only reason why I'm not getting it is not because I've lived a great life. If you guys, you know, I mean, I know there's this idealistic of hero worship of missionaries when we come back. and But trust me, if you knew me, you'd be like, oh, man, she's got the same problems I've got. Um, we need the Lord. And unless we are tied with him, if we're tied and hid in him, then we're protected from God the Father. If you're on your own, you don't stand a chance. So we, too, go through trusting lies. In the American culture, sometimes we trust these lies, and maybe they'll sound familiar from my passion of Ecclesiastes. It says, um, we're in control and we will live forever. It's a lie. If we move to a new house, then we'll be happy and we'll never want to move again. That's often the missionary's problem. <laughs> if I can just get an apartment, <laughs> especially the wife, that's hard not having a place. If I were married or weren't married, as the case may be, then I would be content. If I had more money, then I'd be satisfied. If we could just get through all this week's stuff, you know, the laundry and the cleaning and the errands, next week it'll be quieter, and then I can spend time with the Lord. Did you ever do that? That's a lie. We're all self-deceived, 
and we live among a culture that's self-deceived. I was reading through um, a little bit of just in my devotion time and some pondering. I was reminded of Hebrews 3.13 that says, Encourage one another as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is constantly deceiving us. Now, if you stop and you think about that, if you're deceived, do you know you're deceived? So sin is deceiving us. Huh. And we can be deceived. Here's another interesting verse, which you guys know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Know it? Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean what? How do we not lean on our own understanding? That is how I decide what to do. Whether I should do this or that is my own understanding, right? And it says don't lean on it. Judges 21.25 says, In those days everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In Deuteronomy 12, and this is what got me started on this for this talk, was Deuteronomy 12, 8 and 9, I read this, and it says, You shall not do at all what you are doing here today. Don't do it. And that is, every man doing what is whatever is right in his own eyes. Don't do that. I'm like, For you have not yet, as, um, not, I'm sorry, for you have not as yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. The point is, you are being deceived. I'm being deceived daily. And we can't trust in what are our own thoughts. Can't trust in your culture, for sure. So everything you've been taught by your mom and all this stuff, you can't trust in that, lean in that. You can't trust in um, anything. The only thing you can trust in is the Lord and his truth. So what are we to do? You know, if we're in this constant deception, and, and I just want to encourage you, um, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, I'm not saying it just, you know, I got it all together, but that we need to know this truth. There's a lot of cool books out there, and I love reading them, but don't ever read them before you read this. You need to understand this. Because th- them, those books, they're affected a lot by the culture. And so it just sort of seeps in. This is not. This goes straight from God. If we know the truth, that's the only thing that's going to help us. And so, so what are we to do? One is to know that you can't trust yourself in knowing what is right. Here's a worldly lie. You've heard this. I know it's out there in every movie, and I'm dealing with my daughter. Um, the worldly lie is follow your heart. If you're a Christian, if you read this, don't follow your heart. <laughs> That's a very scary place to be. And I'm if I'm deceived, I won't even know it. So that's why I've got to follow the word. So one is knowing you're constantly deceiving yourself because of sin. Seek the word of truth, this word of God, daily, often. Because then every once in a while you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. And it'll change your path. 
Colossians 3, 16 and 17, which I'm using verses you know, but let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, with psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, one, know you're being constantly deceived by sin and by the worldly culture. Seek the word. It'll guide you. And lastly, that came out of that verse, be thankful. If Hansom was thankful, if he just would have worked on thankfulness, he would have started, and I tried, but I'm failing, I'm sure. But if you work on thankfulness, it reminds you there's a God. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding. And it says, In all your ways, acknowledge him. We run around like there is no God. We run around like we're going to live forever, like we're in control. We're in control of nothing. But thankfulness is one of those things that reminds us on a regular basis there is a God. He is the one that gives you all good things. He's the one that will guide your path. So, I was told to finish 10 minutes ago. Um, but uh, I, this was really this was really on my heart to let you guys know that I just wanted to encourage you. Um, and I wanted to use Africa. I know you like to hear stories about Africa, and I'll be glad to tell them. And I'll tell you all about the animals and the people and the strange cultures and things that I've learned spiritually. But my heart is one day, and Lord willing soon, um, is that we'll all see him face to face. So my heart is that you'll be with me seeing him face to face. Um, And so we need to keep encouraging one another as long as it's still called today. So, all right. um, What? Three minutes of questions? My big lion? Okay, those pictures that you saw, I started, was Lauren, Lauren, I don't know where you got those pictures. (laughs) Yeah, she's trouble. Um, uh, uh, We have a friend of ours that's a taxidermist, taxidermy, taxidermy, whatever. And so the, the, the baby cubs are real. But the the lion, you know, where Dave's like going like this, and then the lion where we're touching and holding this little ear. Um, no, that's not real. <laughs> I mean, they're real lions. They were really, you know. So we we as a joke went out and in in the bush of his house and made some family photos. And so that was never supposed to be seen by anyone else. But my daughter decided to show you guys. So anyway, so no, don't don't go up and. Tickle the little lion's ear. You do not tame a lion. They are not tameable. But they're amazing because I was telling people, that's another one of the things. You know, God says he puts the fear of man in animals. Um, I have seen, and I have had a lion. um, Actually, I had, in one week, I had three lion attacks, if that makes sense. Not attacks, but uh, a false charge is what they call them. And and they're intimidated by... People standing up and having even a little tiny switch of the stick and threatening, you know, and that's God, because there's nothing between you and a lion. So I'm, I'm very um, respectful of lions. Um, it took me probably three years to get over hearing the MGM lion <laughs> after those. <laughs> so it took me a while, but I'm like back now. So, but I won't 
go walking with them and grab their tails. <laughs> anyway, because I know what they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, Um, that would really depend on the tribe. Um, but yes, I mean, the idea of, of ancestors is, I can't even tell you how huge it is. Um, so they would want, uh, well, here's an example of where it wasn't true. Handsome's case, he has some extended family that were abusive to him, and they pleaded with us not to bring him back. They said, please do not bear him. He's a Zimbabwean. Please do not bury him in Zimbabwe. We do not want him here. And they, they begged us to bury him in South Africa um, because they thought that he will come back and haunt them. And I went, well, your conscience let you live with that. <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, so uh, in general, they would they do all kinds of funny things. I mean... Um, you know, I'll, if a, they're in a car and the body's in the car and the car, you know, the roads are terrible in the bush and so they'll many times get flat tires and, and then they'll have to go get the little granddaughter to come out to tell the grandfather, it's okay, you know, let us, let us take you on. Um, yeah, so they're very, they're just very sensitive to trying to appease a dead ancestor. So anything that goes wrong, they tend to think that. But again, I don't want to. I don't want to glamorize that. Well, that's not glamour. I don't want to make fun of it too much. Um, it's we look at it and say that's bondage. You know, do you be that upset or um, run your life like that? And yet at the same time, what we have to do is turn the coin and say, what are the lies that we're believing in our culture that are getting us to? act in stupid ways that when Africans look at the American culture, they don't look at it as a idealistic culture either. They, they're very communal. And so they look down against Americans because um, we're not, we're individuals and we're anyway, but that's another story. She's making me stop. <laughs> I'm on African time. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The only people that don't have to be in African time or can be in African time are the people with nursery kiddos. <laughs> because we don't want the poor nursery workers to have to, you know, abide by African time. So we don't want you to go. And we have plenty more conversations afterwards. But if you do have kids in the nursery, I wanted to go ahead and dismiss you. Carol, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for your transparency and for genuinely your concern for us and our hearts also, because you're exactly right. We have to make sure that we're examining ourselves and our culture and allowing that also to influence how we see the world and the Lord's work. I'm just going to go ahead and close our time now in prayer. And again, feel free to stick around and ask questions and talk a lot more. Our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the clarity of your word, God. And we're so thankful to be those who hold your word in our hands and who can study it and have access to it all the time, Lord. And we're so grateful for these families who go out into the world to make that their aim and their goal to see your word being read, abided by, and followed in the lives of the people that you have created, God. Father, we do desire that your worship would be given to you from around this globe. And so, Father, we do continue to pray for all of our missionary families. Lord, we pray also for the Beakleys, and we're so thankful for Dave and for Carol and for the many years that they have served in Polokwane, Lord. We thank you for their kiddos. We thank you for 
um, the investment that Carol and Dave had made in their own family and each of the children, each of the men and the other um, people that they have discipled, Lord, in their home, Father. God, we do thank you for the opportunities that they have even now, Lord, as they share even what is a painful situation in remembering the loss of handsome God. Father, we pray that you would continue to use this, Father, in the lives of many, that they might turn to you in hope and repent of their sins, Father. God, we do pray that you would even use the example of Carol and Dave and how you allowed them, Father, to take handsome men and minister to him, Father. Let that be an encouragement and a light to the families in their church, Lord, to the men in the program at the seminary. And God, we pray that you would continue to encourage them, to strengthen them, Father, despite differences in the church body, whatever challenges they may face from the culture and whatnot, God. You are king, and you are God of all creation. Would you please, Lord, continue to care for and encourage your faithful servants. And may your word go out faithfully, Lord, and would it not return void, Lord. We trust you to accomplish much, and we're so thankful that we are the hands that you use, Lord. May we be faithful. In your son's name, amen.